Welcome. Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host. We made it. It's the weekend. It's Friday. And you know what? It's the last show, the last new show of the year 2022 for us here at Fearless. We're going to enjoy our Christmas break. We're going to enjoy the holiday. We will put out some content over YouTube and over Facebook and over Instagram to keep you uh, interested. But in terms of full-blown episodes of Fearless, new episodes of Fearless, this is it. We're going to have to enjoy this time together. I do think we're going to re-air some of our uh, greatest episodes from the last 18 months, two years. But in terms of the new episodes, fresh up to, this is it. We're going to have to enjoy today, uh, embrace today, celebrate what we've accomplished and what we've enjoyed together uh, during 2022, and look forward to 23. I think we'll be back on January the 3rd or whatever that Monday is after the New Year's. We'll be back with a fresh episode of of the show, but uh, this is it, baby. And so let's make the most of it. I have a fantastic awesome uh, show plan for you today. Let me check my notes here. The Korean Cosell uh, will be here, as will be uh, Delano Squires. We're going to talk a potpourri of sports topics with the Korean Cosell. Delano's written a terrific column about, uh, and this card's not right. Oh, well, yeah, it is. Anyway, Delano's written a uh, terrific column about Joe Biden and his commitment to the Alphabet Mafia and the throne he has ascended to atop uh, the Alphabet Mafia. Uh, But we're going to do it. Korean Cosell, myself, Delano Squires. I don't think it gets any better. We're going to stick the landing uh, for 2022 today. And we'll start by uh, sticking that landing by talking about uh, one of my favorite, if not my favorite sponsor of this show, Good Ranchers. Have you ever had an unforgettable Christmas? You thought you received the thing you wanted the most and then figured out it was just a normal pair of socks? They weren't even blaze socks, so they just sucked the happiness right out of the room? What if I said you could fight inflation, eat luxurious food, and give your family the awesome gift you could have received yourself? Well, you can. Make someone's Christmas unforgettable by gifting them with a Good Rancher subscription. Good Ranchers is the sure way to give 100% American, USDA, prime and upper choice cuts of beef, chicken, and seafood. Plus, you can get the gift of a subscription and look in someone's, lock in someone's price for them this entire year. I don't know about you, but an inflation-proof meat budget beats a new pair of plain socks for me. So head on over to GoodRanchers.com and use the code FEARLESS at checkout for the $35 off your delicious gift of meat. If you know someone that likes meat, then you know someone who will love Good Ranchers. Head on over to GoodRanchers.com and find the perfect box in a curated selection of America's best meat and seafood. Give the best meat in America. Support local U.S. farms. Get $35 off with my code. Support a business that supports me, you, and us and our way of life. Avoid inflation this Christmas with Good Ranchers. American meat delivered. Be a good, fearless soldier. Feed your soldiers, your personal soldiers, good ranchers. I'm going to 
take my own advice and I'm going to send my brother and his family a subscription to Good Ranchers. I'm going to take my, you guys, I don't suggest things to you that I don't do myself. It's going to be a perfect Christmas gift for my brother and his family. I may start giving everybody in my family a Good Rancher subscription. It, it takes the thinking out of my head. I don't have to think about Christmas gifts. I've hooked them up with a gift they will enjoy for months and years. Do the same. All right, uh, let's roll out to uh, Los Angeles and bring in uh, the Korean Cosell. And uh, Cosell, I, I, I want to start here with a slight curveball. I'm looking at, they, they give me these cards here and they got the topics listed and they tell me what's gonna be on the screen for the lower thirds. And I'm looking at something that says Korean Cosell Hour. That's the title of this hour, the Korean Cosell. Who came up with this? Who authorized this? Were you involved with, no. this is, has nothing to do, this isn't the, this is the Whitlock Fearless Show. We haven't, carved out some special hour for the Korean Cosell. I hope you weren't involved with the decision making because whoever I had to put on blast for, for labeling, and we're only gonna go 59 minutes mm -hmm. just because I don't want it, I don't even wanna be a, the Korean Cosell hour. Yeah. There will be no takeover here, Cosell. Yeah, well, I'm not Mike Wallace. I ain't, I ain't 60 minutes either, but I, I tell you who demanded it. <laughs> It's our audience. <laughs> had nothing to do with uh, John Hadley. Had nothing to do with me. Had nothing to, the audience, they demand it. This is the last Korean Cosell segment of 2022. Wow, where did the time go? Wow, it's been fun. It, it, it really is. Uh, <laughs> but someone's going to be held responsible. According to this card, uh, the first topic we're going to do in the Korean Cosell 59 minutes uh, Brock Purdy and the 49ers beat Seahawks, clinched the NFC West. <clears throat> Were you impressed? 21-13. The line was four points. Uh, I mm. hammered that line, uh, by the way. I knew the 49ers would cover. Uh, you impressed. The 49ers uh, beat the Seahawks, clinched the NFC West. Y you feel even more confident about what the 49ers are doing without Trey Lance, without Jimmy Garoppolo. Brock Purdy, can he get him to the Super Bowl? Yes. And I know that might surprise people. If that defense plays the way it does, now keep this in mind, that defense allows the offense to be relatively conservative. If that young man right there can just stay off the turnovers, move the chains, and create 20 to 24 points, that in most games, in most instances, will make the 49ers the winning team. The score was 21-13, but Jason, I thought it was very, very much a game that felt like a blowout. And, and if you take away that It would have been a blowout. You know, well, you, the refs stopped the we, blowout with that roughing gotta, the passer yeah. call on both. And we got to get into that. Yes, that game was a blowout. I don't. If there was ever a game that felt like a lopsided score with just an eight-point margin, it was that. Now, we got to get into that real quickly here. That call is very dangerous because of... Flag at any time that's thrown by a referee at their discretion can just flip a game. If, if I'm not mistaken, that was a pick six that would have turned that game, I believe, into a 28-6 to six or something like that. And the game felt over until that flag came. 
Now, here's the guy that I want to rip on that, besides the referee. Kirk Herbstreet, your old buddy. He actually, I watched this game. He's like, well, you know, that's a pretty good call. You know, he kind of, time out. Hey, Kirk, can you have some balls? You played the game. Can you can you at least have a little modicum of, of honesty like a Troy Aikman? And I'm not asking you to tell them to wear a skirt. But when Kirk said, well, that's probably what got, he's trying to justify the dog. And that's what I hate about the mainstream media and guys like Curb Street. They've made a lot of money. They're in an exalted position, but they don't have the guts to just tell the truth and say, bad call, bad rule. I hate it because they don't want the blowback. That's all. Honestly, Kirk, I know that's your guy. Kirk Curb Street has done a very good job with Thursday Night Football. I had low mm. expectations for he and Al Michaels. I thought they've done a great job. I do think Kirk and other broadcasters, we got to remember, Troy Aikman had to come out and apologize for, for saying put skirts on them. Everybody knows the rules. They have to sell the lie that nothing has changed with football and the NFL is just as difficult as it used to be. That's their job to sell the lie. So I'm not going to rip Kirk Herstreet. It is our job, the rest of the media, that, aren't, that mm. isn't attached to selling the actual game and product to call out and point out what we're seeing and what. You have to basically ask the quarterback to fall to the ground now. You can't put your body weight on it. That was a ridiculous call. And part of me, I'm going to go 10 hat. I don't care if people don't like it. Part of me thinks there's referees in New York in the earpieces of the referees on the field mm. asking <clears throat> for these flags. At, hey, this game's getting out of hand. Uh, throw that flag there. Let's back them up. Let, let's, don't, let's don't have this game changing. Let's don't have blowouts. Because I, I just don't know how any man who's been involved with football for any length of time would look at that Joey uh, Nick Bosa play and go, yeah, that's roughing the passer. Somebody had to be in your ear. Throw that flag. That's rough in the past. I, I just. Jason, I, I, go back. I, I can't take it. Go back to when the body weight thing really started. The play where they started to examine that particular dynamic of football. It was, I believe, the 2000 AFC championship game where Tony Saragusa just folded Rich Gannon and just like laid on him. It looked like something out of the WWF. Now, that type of play, I can see like, hey, it's the quarterback. They should be protected a little bit. I get it. But this is the uh, the double standard and the hypocrisy of that call. Last Sunday, we referenced this. Jalen Phillips sacks the quarterback, but because he didn't put a pillow underneath his head, it's a penalty. On a sack, Mike White that very same Sunday was getting blasted by the Bills. I mean, absolutely blasted to a point. He tapped out twice, and he kept coming back for more. And then I'm asking, well, wait a minute. What is the difference between what happened to Herbert and Mike White? Well, one guy is a franchise player that is the face of the franchise. The other guy's kind of a journeyman, backup. We don't know where he stands. But it was funny. It almost felt to me that Jalen Phillips was penalized because the guy didn't get rid of the ball well, Mike White actually got rid of the ball both occasions where he got knocked out of the game. Uh, so then you go back to yesterday saying, okay, maybe that's the rule. Don't tackle a guy with the ball too hard. Well, Bosa got Geno Smith who got rid of the ball. There's something very wrong about that rule, but it's it's just maddening. And I get it. Kirk Curbstreet is a very sensitive guy. 
He likes to gauge the temperature of the American public. But come on, Kirk, have some guts and be honest and say that's a terrible call and a terrible rule. Let's shelve it. Steve, Steve, I'm going to defend Kirk. You do realize that they have meetings before the season where the NFL spells out, here's what we want you to talk about, here's what we want you to avoid talking about. And these broadcasters know that if they go past that line of what they have specifically told you, we don't want you talking about this, then those $10 million and $15 million a year checks they're getting for calling football games can disappear. And so everybody has been instructed, and that's why Troy Aikman came out and apologized. Everybody's been instructed, hey guys, we're every this whole game is dependent on selling these quarterbacks as big TV stars, and we're committed to doing everything to protecting the quarterbacks and making sure they don't get hurt. We don't want you talking about how soft the game has become around quarterback play. We're selling the myth that these guys are heroic gladiators that uh, you know have to take all these antidepressants and all Percocet and anti-inflammatories all to get on the field. This is this is a gladiator sport, and it's to, and and, they, and so we don't want you. N- talking about that it's no longer that it's not a gladiator sport anymore it's it's organized very controlled orchestrated football we don't want you talking about that i'm going to give you an example of how soft things have become and just how how, it's all throughout pervasive in american culture but one of the great things we love you love about boxing is like Man, Joe Frazier and Muhammad Ali, they nearly killed each other in the ring, and Muhammad Ali hung on and won the thrill in Manila. Or uh, what was the first one? Was was it the fight of the century or something? Yes. Or or Muhammad Ali over in Zaire, uh, when the rumble in the jungle and how he took that beating. And, and, And I think about one of the last great heroic injury-riddled sports narrative stories that I, that I remember is Tiger Woods winning that U.S. Open on one leg in 2008 or 2009. And in this environment we have today, they would have pulled Tiger Woods off the course and said, hey, man, you can't limp around here. You're too injured. You can't go on. Uh, they would pull him. We won't. There just won't be moments like that anymore in sports where, got, oh, Michael Jordan, you got a flu and you're sick. No nope. uh, load management. You have to sit Listen, out. Are you comparing what? prize fighters and football players to golfers? Until Tiger Woods takes a jab to the face, a left hook to the body, or blindsided by a linebacker, I kind of get it. But man, I know you're a Tiger Woods homer. But oh God. No, don't do that. Did you not see the man limp around the course and win the U.S. Open in 2008 or 2000? I I think it was the last major he won before winning the Masters again. It was an incredible, heroic, courageous performance. It's one of the – it was amazing, Steve. I don't ever want to hear the words heroic and courageous with golf. Let's just get that out of the way. I know for some reason you love Tiger Woods. Uh, I'm the anomaly. I'm the Asian. 
I hate golf and I'm a good driver. This is what you're getting with me. I'm sorry. Yes, was it an achievement within that dynamic of golf? Yeah, I guess so. But do you really want to compare it to Y.A. Tittle with blood running down his face, getting blasted? Come on, Jay. Come on. It's a stretch. It's a stretch, Jay. Got to admit that. Jeez. It was a great moment that I'll never forget. I'm a Tiger Woods fan. I'll it's never, a great moment uh, I never apologize watched. for that. Yeah. You really, hold on. You really, you're not, you don't, you weren't into the Tiger Woods thing? At all. I was not a fan of the Camblin Asian. I, 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 the only golf tournament I've ever gotten into, it was in the spring of 1986 when the Golden Bear, Jack Nicholas. now there was a golfer. There was a great American. The way he just made that comeback on the last 10 holes and Vern Lundquist with that great call, that's the only golf tournament I can honestly tell you that I kept it on CBS for a couple of hours because I like the Golden Bear. I thought he was very relatable. He, he looks very uh, friendly, and he was to the fans. Tiger Woods always kind of came off as a jerk, honestly. In fact, Mario Lopez, who likes everybody, he's only badmouthed one celebrity in public, and he did it on our show. It was his one interaction with Tiger Woods, and I said, wow, if Mario Lopez don't like you, you must be an unlikable guy. So I've never gotten into golf. I don't care. And it used to piss me off. On a big like sports weekend, I would never want Tiger Woods to win because Sports Center would make it sound like Tiger Woods did something. And I'm like, I, 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 let's get to the football highlights. I don't need this putt putt thing in my screen. I, I have a code, Jason. I have a code, man. I live by it. I can't help it. It's what I am. It's what I am. I, I, I'm going to ignore. I found Tiger Woods very relatable, and maybe it speaks to just how ratchet I used to be. And how uh, it's about the strippers. I get deb- it. It's the strippers. How debaucherous. I I, uh, no, I no, it, 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 you know, having known a Rachel Ucatel in my life uh, and, you know, having spent some time in Las Vegas in my life, I found Tiger very relatable at that time. The new this Jason. Yeah would probably be a little less into Tiger Woods, but I found Tiger relatable. Uh, I can't I, believe you said Jay, that. It just used to um, bother me yeah. when there actually used to be comparisons. Who's the greatest athlete we've seen the past 50 years? And they put up guys like Bo Jackson, Deion Sanders, the great Michael Jeffrey Jordan. Of course, he's number one. And then Tiger Woods. And I'm like, hold on, hold on. I am not taking any credit away from Tiger Woods. He's the greatest golfer post-Nicholas ever. But to compare him to those other athletes, and this is going to piss some people off, your average six-round fighter that makes about $500 for their night's work is a better athlete, a tougher guy than any golfer. No disrespect to any of the golfers, but that's the truth. I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, please do. Uh, Just leave it at that. You know what? I'm going to leave it at that because I'm going to move on to Adam Silver, the commissioner of the NBA, uh, during the Korean Cosell 59 minutes. Uh, Adam Silver stated uh, yesterday, or I saw it in a front office sports article, uh, he wants a female NBA coach within five years. Is is this a good priority for the NBA to have a female head coach within five years? I, I don't think it's any time. Can we be very honest about this? And this is Fearless Friday, right? 
in the deepest yeah. recesses of these players' minds, none of them want to be coached by a woman. I, I think they tolerate the assistant coaches. I think in the football, they say, okay, um, then, you know, I guess we got to listen to them. But the reality is at that level of sports, they want male leadership. Now, it may not be the leadership of what 30, 40 years ago, Bobby Knight and Bill Parcells and guys of that ilk. They don't want to listen to a woman. I mean, honestly, it, it, who, and I, you know what's funny? And then in 10 years of Adam Silver, still unfortunately the commissioner of the NBA, he's going to put a timeline on wanting a transgender coach, that it's about that time. And then in 15 years, it's going to be, oh, okay, well, RuPaul is calling for a 20-second timeout. I'm sorry. This is another publicity stunt. I mean, you want to turn people off. But you know what the most used phrase would be from that poor NBA team, that poor squad, that would have to go through this social experiment? The thing that they would mutter under their breath after every practice or a loss or a game they didn't like, and again, I'm going to excuse my language. They're going to be like, bitch, please. That's going to be used a million times. You know it's true, Jason. Jay, be honest, Jay. You know, please, it's going to be used a lot. Be like, what you, no, nothing, nothing. you know that's true. No other, Look, I'm not Herb Street. I'm Kim. This is where we go. This is what we do. You wanted the 59 minutes. I'm just packing it in. But you, no one in their right, none of these players, and they're all going to say the right things. Well, you know, we, we respect her as a coach, and, you know, she knows her basketball, and, you know, she's, she's a great person, and we're going to – no, they're not. No, they're not. And that team, to me, unless it's just overloaded with talent, is going to be a disaster. And as I was thinking about this, preparing for this segment, my greatest fear – as a Laker fan in hiatus is when that LeBron guy leaves. I'm going to go back to my Laker fandom. That's what I do. I I am just deathly afraid that Jeannie Buss is going to do the whole girl power thing so that she can become popular and all the media that already gives her the softest treatment. They're going to call her a pioneer. They're going to call her a visionary. And I'm going to be like, oh, my God. Be honest, Jason. If you were a big-time max player free agent and you had various offers and you knew like hey i could choose a winner here wouldn't one of the deciding factors be i want to play for a guy not a girl be honest come on steve steve i i i want to take you a completely different direction i think you've misread this i don't think your finger is wet and in the air and figuring out which way the wind is blowing i don't know how you have your Instagram feed rigged or whatever, but I I disagree with you. I think there will be 30%, 40% of these players that would love to be coached by a woman. They've been so feminized, they've so bought into the matriarchal culture, talking primarily about the black players, have, have bought into this matriarchal culture. They'd love to be coached by a woman. They'd feel like they could more relatable, easier to uh, manipulate, work with, whatever. And then, and Steve, you, you gotta you gotta have your Instagram feed triggered the right way to get the stuff. Go look at these on Instagram. It, it doesn't take a lot of hunting, but there's a lot of female basketball coaches that have leaned into the fashion show element of their wardrobe while coaching during the side. Everybody's got their boots on, everybody's got their tightest stuff on, and they're taking pictures of themselves, coaching, and then p- posting them on their Instagram, 
and they look like Instagram models. And so if you think some of these players, I'm just keeping as as sexually immoral as this society has has come and how there's just no rules and regulations to anything, there's no protocol, there's no standard of conduct. These players would love to be coached by some woman they find attractive who's down for the play. And and I, I, I'm just sorry. There's Go look at the big three and how they rallied around. Is it Nancy Lieberman or whatever is one of their coaches? They rallied around her and how – and, again, I'm not saying there's a lot of coaching going on in the big three, but <clears throat> no one has a problem with it. There's old fuddy-duddies like myself and you, but these athletes, they believe in the matriarchy. Their mother tells them what to do. Their sister tells them what to do. They don't have problems taking marching orders from women and actually like it because they have so much animus towards their tattered relationship with their father or non-existent relationship with their father. Uh, you know, I, I could see it happening. I, I could see, uh, you know, could, go, go look at uh, Don mm -hmm. Staley and, and how <clears throat> she, in, she's putting on $7,000 jackets leather jacket she's coaching in and it, it's all a fashion show look at the nba players and how they come dressed to work to walk down the runway this whole thing has been feminized to the point that a female coach love it i still disagree when it comes to athletics and it comes to a men's league these guys want male leadership or traditional coaching i have a hard time believing that uh, let's say a big man plays a little bit soft doesn't grab a rebound or doesn't finish hard and you're gonna have some like five foot four lesbian girls Steve, they hey, don't want to be coached they well, don't okay. want to be coached you know are what? you watching the nba they're not really no, coaching not. they're jacking well, up threes i agree but okay it, but it, it, they they don't want to be coached it, the coaching doesn't matter a lot of these it, it, guys it really does. these guys aren't practicing they're not they stay in physical shape they're in good cardio vascular shape but they're not running any real offenses out there no no one's working none of the big men are working on low post moves or anything like that everybody's working on jacking up a three an iso ball it doesn't require it's no different than what i've said they've done to the nfl quarterback position you don't call plays anymore as the quarterback they tell you exactly what to do inside your helmet. The, the, the whole thing's been eased and dumbed down. That's why, that's why JB comes on this show every week, and that's why John Gruden in public conversations and private conversations talking about, man, this isn't even the playbooks and everything has been shrunk to a point. This is high school football that they're passing off as NFL football. I look... At the end of the day, they may think they want it until they get chewed out or screamed at, and they're going to be given the side eye. That's my view of it. And they're like, I'm just telling you, no man wants to be coached by a woman at that level of sports. It's the truth. It truly is. And no one wants to say it, and I'm going to get blasted here. I don't give a damn. Because I'm just telling you, if you actually – but look, could you imagine? You're, you know, you are right about that. The game is a little bit – less masculine could you imagine asking a woman hey uh yeah here's your team charles oakley anthony mason and uh 
Larry Johnson. <laughs> Good job, girl. Go get him. Uh, I'm sorry. This is not a movie. What was that movie where uh, Whoopi Goldberg coached the Knicks? Steve. Okay. Uh, yeah, whatever that movie was. It, it, this, this is real life. It wouldn't work. Steve, Steve, Steve <clears throat> and I say this in all seriousness. These players and these female coaches in our lifetime, on their road trips, they'll be going to nail salons and beauty shops together as a team <sighs> to go get their nails done and their hair did. You, you, you think these guys getting their hair colored and braided and twisted? I was looking at DK Metcalf uh, last night with his green hair. Whatever. He would love to have some female coach go to the beauty salon with him and get his hair colored. The, the, these guys have got their hair all twisted up in Barney, what is Betty Rubble or Wilma uh, Flintstone's hairstyles and all that other stuff. They'd love to do that together with their head coaches. We, hey, we can, let, let's go to the beauty shop together. We can go over the game plan. They'd love it. I don't get it, but going back to uh, David Silver. Uh, Adam. Yeah, Adam. David's turn has to be rolling over in his grave. My God. <laughs> Out of all the guys to get to replace maybe the greatest commissioner of any sport alongside Pete Rozelle, we get this guy. Uh, and I don't get this whole thing of why we need representation in certain things. You know what? Maybe it's a long time overdue for more female construction workers or coal miners or dig ditchers. Well, you know, as Thomas Sowell always says, well, wait a minute. If you want representation, you know that tough job where you have coal and explosions happening right in your face? Hey, you know what? Let's, let's, let's get some gender equity there. I, I, again, I will disagree with you. It may seem like a great deal. It may seem easier. It may seem like a softer touch. I just don't see it realistically working. Let's move on, uh, Cosell. MSNBC columnist, uh, Dave Zirin, who works for The Nation oh. most of the time. He's written a guest column, you know, and Dave is to the left of Karl Marx. Uh, he's written an MSNBC <laughs> column. <laughs> complaining that NBA fans aren't cheering loud enough for Brittany Griner. He's very offended, and he, in his column he talks about how the, you know, Utah Jazz are fans are known for their brutal treatment of black athletes, and when they announced, mm. they put Brittany Griner up on the big screen, I guess, at a Jazz uh, game, and we want to welcome her home, and Allegedly, there were a smattering of boos, and Dave was, I think, talking about uh, he was at maybe a Wizards game where, you know, they reintroduced John Wall, and there were loud cheers, uh, but their cheers weren't as loud for Brittany Griner, and he's upset about it. And I'm like, hey, man, you do know she took a dump all over America and said this country mm-hmm. – uh, is racist and oppressive, and she's ashamed of the national anthem. It's not all that surprising that traditional American sports fans aren't, you know, <clears throat> just overjoyed that we traded the merchant of death for some woman who doesn't even appreciate America. But Dave's very upset, and it's a sign of just how racist and unfair America is that we're not cheering lustily for uh, Brittany Griner. Okay, it, my response to Dave Zirin would be very simple. This is my trademark line. Yeah, and this is the issue that I have with columnists like him. And and Dave Zirin, every time he pops into my Twitter feed once in a while, he does give me a good chuckle. I mean, it's ha ha, but not in a funny way. 
the issue is, Dave, if you care about Britney, that's fine. That is absolutely your prerogative. But your overwrought whining and complaining about how everyone should agree with you and be in lockstep with your thoughts, that's where I think we've lost it. Like every time I write something, no matter if it's controversial, incendiary, uh, out there, whether it's the hottest take of all time, I actually don't expect anyone to agree with me. Now, everyone should if they have a modicum of intelligence, but I understand the world that we live in. And it just comes off as you have to agree with me or I'm just going to cry. And that's all that he does nowadays. Dave Zero and I used to enjoy. I believe that he had a, a regular column or still does called Louder Than a Bomb for Slam Magazine, which I subscribed to for years. And there was a time I actually enjoyed his writing. But now he has gone into this uh, industrial complex of white guilt. And, you know, everything is the white guy. He's the cool guy. He'll be invited to the barbecue. He gets it. He understands it. Um, but I, I would ask him, how many WNBA games did you cover? Uh, in fact, before all of this, I, I would like to ask how many cover stories on Brittany Griner did he pen? And, and by the way, um, who was that? Yeah, Andy Warhol. He called me. Yeah, yeah, special line, Andy Warhol. He just called me, and I said, what's going on? Yeah, Brittany's 15 minutes? Yeah, Steve, it's over. And what did we say? Now, last week we talked about it a little bit, right? It's almost like it didn't exist because we really don't care. But that's that's my biggest gripe with Dave is not even his own opinion. He has the right to think America is this vile, evil, racist country, even though uh, every day streams of people, all sorts of people from all across the world are fighting to get into America, which I've always found interesting. But to, to actually emotionally extort everybody else to feel sorry for someone who seemed to be a perennial malcontent, that's where, again, he completely loses me. Dave Zyron, I'm just going to keep it a thousand percent. You said it's Fearless Friday. Dave Zyron's not a white guy. He's, oh, he's a not? Jewish guy. Who, he's a Jewish guy who thinks it's his job to police the thoughts and all the activity around black people. That's his job. That's what he does. And so he's trying to, he, he's, he doesn't actually like white people. And he, he, he wants to d demonize America and use black people to demonize America. And he's using Brittany Griner and he's used his relationship with some, uh, you know, Eton Thomas who, you know, I don't think ever scored more than five points a game in an NBA game or certainly didn't average, average that. And, and so he and Eton are the Batman and Robin of vilifying white supremacy. And, and if he can find a Brittany Griner or anybody to use to further his narrative that America is terrible and, and uh, th that's what he's going to you know, do. You know what's interesting? Uh, the guy's it, a joke. He, yeah, he, he this, tried to forget. Let me just be completely yeah. transparent. You know, for years, he's been one of my biggest critics and stalkers and running around trying to tell me what I should think. And I've never liked or respected him uh, because he, he can't control what I think, write, say. He's, he, you're not, I get you're the overseer for Eton Thomas and some of these other black dudes that ain't got no balls and don't have a brain for themselves. But Dave uh, missed me with that. 
and I'm not going to feel bad because I'm not overjoyed that Brittany Griner is home. She don't care nothing about America. I didn't care about her when she was over here playing basketball. I'm not going to, you know, run around yeah. fake and pretend like I'm overjoyed that we gave up the merchant of death for some woman who didn't even appreciate being an American. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm no. honest about this. <laughs> if a WNBA game was taking place in my backyard, I'd close the drapes. And if that game involved Brittany Griner, I would just leave the house and go to lunch. And, but, but, and like, and everyone feels this way, but they won't say it. It, it reminded me of one of your other old nemesis, old Katie Kate Nolan. She went on this rant one time, and, it's, and I saw a video and where she talked about how the WNBA does deserve equity with the NBA. She made this big spiel. And then someone actually went to her social media. I think it was her Instagram account. And she's had a lot of games. Red Sox, Patriots, any male league she was at. You know what they didn't have one picture of? Her at any other WNBA event. That That is the hypocrisy. It, it, is, it is a classic case of do what we tell you, but not what we do. Steve, let me take a moment here before we continue with our sports discussion and talk with you guys about my great friends at Preborn. Tragically, every minute, unborn babies' futures are sucked out of existence. But amid the darkness, there's a light that shines, and that's Preborn. Preborn introduces mothers considering abortion to their unborn babies through ultrasound. Once that mother, that expectant mother, hears that heartbeat, sees the precious life growing inside of her, 80% of those women then choose life. Preborn pregnancy clinics are positioned in top abortion areas where most abortions still take place, but preborn does not stop there. They love, support these mothers with maternity clothes, diapers, counseling, and so much more for up to two years. If you wanna do good this holiday season, this Christmas season, if you wanna help save lives, preborn is the perfect way to do it. Preborn is completely dependent on us and you and me and all of us as a community fighting the giants that are fighting for abortion and to end these babies' lives. So for just $28, you can rescue a baby's life or 140 sponsors five ultrasounds. And now through a match, your gift is double. 100% of your donation will go towards saving babies. We have a goal of saving 50,000 Blaze babies in 23. Will you join us? Will you be a good, fearless soldier and join us? Pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250, keyword baby. Or donate, my favorite way to donate, securely at preborn.com slash Jason. That's preborn.com slash Jason. There's a little tab you can click that you can tell them you heard about preborn and you gave this donation because you heard it here. I want the credit for it. I want your emails. Tell them you did it. I love getting those emails. I love you for supporting preborn. Let's, this is something concrete we can do to help push the culture in America in a better direction. Preborn.com slash Jason or pick up your phone pound 250 say the keyword baby. Let's make 23 an even better year in our support of preborn. Thank you. All right, let's go back to uh, Steve Kim <clears throat> and close out the uh, Korean Cosell 59 <laughs> minutes. <sighs> uh, Steve, we'll go on a more serious note. Uh, there's a story that we covered heavily here on this show. Mike Hickman, 
the peewee football coach in Dallas who was shot and killed by Yaqib, Yaqib Tlaib, Aqib Tlaib's brother uh, during a peewee football game. We argued and talked about and interviewed the coaches and people that were on the scene that Aqib Tlaib uh, started, instigated this confrontation and was responsible uh, or at least partially responsible for the death of Mike Hickman, a father, a husband, a peewee football coach, a former college football player. We talked about it extensively on this show. The mainstream media ignored this story. Here's Aqib Tlaib, a borderline Hall of Fame player, a multiple time Pro Bowler, All Pro, Super Bowl champion, was scheduled to be uh, the Thursday night football, uh, part of the Thursday night football broadcast on Amazon, was a broadcaster for NFL games on Fox Sports. This man's involved in the murder of a peewee football coach, and the mainstream media completely ignores it. Oh, his brother did X, Y, and Z. The family, we had coaches come on, tell the story directly about Aqib Tlaib's role in it. Well, now uh, the family of Mike Hickman uh, is suing, among other people, Aqib Tlaib for his role in the murder of Mike Hickman. I'm glad they're doing it. I, I guess I'm gonna start with you. Why did the mainstream media, ESPN and everyone else, ignore this and will they continue to ignore Aqib Tlaib's role in the murder of Mike Hickman? Well, my sources tell me that Dave Zarin's gonna write a column blaming this on white supremacy and systemic racism. <laughs> but yeah, of course they are. And I'm gonna get a little deep here. The reason why they will not cover this uh, at length, or at all really, because it, it really was buried. I mean, in fact, it's interesting, the, the story that you are referencing now about the lawsuit, it popped up on my timeline on Twitter, of all places, TMZ. Wasn't ESPN, wasn't Fox News or Fox Sports. I think there's a belief here. I'm going to get a little deep here. If this was a white-black situation, and let's say specifically a white man killed another black coach or something of that effect, it would be covered. It would be covered 24-7, 365. It'd be hot on that news cycle for a good few months. We know this. But because it's basically a black-on-black -black crime, for lack of a better term, and I've said this before, the expectations you set on somebody, the standards you have, that's what you think of them. And maybe um, because of the demographics involved, there are those who believe, number one, we can't touch it because it doesn't play to our core audience. We can't pander with it. But also, maybe this is what they expect. And so to them, it is not a news story, regardless of the status of Aqib Tlaib. So let me walk you through a real-life example or analogy that, that, that illustrates and buttresses your point. Stephen A. Smith and LeBron James fanned flames over unknown BYU students who allegedly uh, hit some Duke volleyball player with a racial slur at a volleyball match. That was worthy of being discussed on first take and we gotta get to the bottom of this, blah, blah, blah. Aqib Tlaib 
instigates, according to eye, multiple eyewitness reports, a confrontation that leads to the murder of a 43-year-old former college football player, peewee coach, in front of his nine-year-old son and his wife. But nah, let's don't talk about that. You know what's interesting is that some BYU student may have yelled a nasty word at a Duke volleyball player. Proven to be untrue, but may have. That's worthy of Don Staley calling off playing BYU. That's worthy of going on TV and trashing all of BYU. They're all racist. But Aqib Tlaib sparking a fight that leads to his brother pulling out a gun and murdering someone in cold blood, nothing to see here. That speaks to, we have super high expectations for random white BYU students and how dare they not meet those standards. And we have no standards for Aqib Tlaib and black people at Pee Wee football games. Well, <laughs> fight broke out and someone got shot. Involving a Hall of Fame potential football player and a broadcast, nothing to see here, nothing to talk about. We expect that from them. We don't expect it from white people. Jason, let's go back. When you say there's nothing to see here, problem was there was a video. We could actually see it. The investigation with BYU, I don't want to say exonerated everybody, but there was never any clear uh, evidence that this happened. And But to a point, there were still ramifications for that university. Didn't Don Staley cancel a game against BYU? Yeah. Um, you know, so they paid a penalty or a price, whatever that is. The the other thing that's interesting with, with Aqib Talib, there's a history of this. So that in itself could be a story that, hey, there's a pattern of certain behavior. But, you know, now you leave a family fatherless and you say you care about people across the board, good, average, hardworking Americans. Now, someone gets slain. It's on video with a noted athlete that is caught on videotape. And really, the silence is deafening about this because you knew those people that always push certain stories. They were never going to touch it because the demographics <coughs> were all wrong. And also the role play did not fit that narrative. Um, and this will be interesting to see what happens if there's actual real ramifications of this, whether it's financial or criminal. Will any of the major outlets outside of the usual wire story, will they examine some of the deeper rooted problems within the community and the people involved and the certain individuals? Because there is a story here. But unfortunately, my guess is, Jason, it will not be told. I think you're right. Uh, let's keep it moving. There's another story <laughs> in the news cycle that I wanted to get to earlier in the week, and then news just built on top of itself and kept pushing it back, pushing it back. But uh, now we got an update on this story. Draymond Green, a couple of days ago, uh, gets a fan, a Milwaukee Bucks fan, booted out of the arena. The Warriors are playing at Milwaukee. Draymond gets the guy booted out of the arena under the pretense that the guy had made threats uh, towards uh, Draymond Green. I think we have the video of Draymond getting the fan ejected, and then we have Draymond's exclamation, exclam 
explanation of what happened. Let's play those two things back to back. Scan the QR code to learn more and pick up your Google Pixel today. Draymond Green pointing to a fan that was the same fan he was talking to on the other end of the floor. And I think he is alerted James Capers, the crew chief. And I'm not exactly sure there is a police officer down in that area. James Capers getting with security here. And it looks like they're going to remove a fan from these seats. You could see it earlier. Got ejected. What, what, what did they say to you? Ah, uh, some threatening stuff to my life. So, you know, um, I was this close to really going back and like diving all the way in, but kind of just went back and told the official. And when I told the official what he said, he's like, oh, he got to get out of here. He got to get out of here. Do you, do you like that, I guess? You know, I know you got fined a couple weeks ago when you said something to the fan. Do you like that that's kind of an option to you, I guess? Uh, yeah, I mean, I can't necessarily say that it, that hasn't been an option. That's kind of been an option. But I think, you know, there are times where you're just in the moment, you know, and, and you respond. And so, uh, you know, that's been an option. That that wasn't like, oh, I just found out that was an option once I got fined. Like, that's been there. Uh, and the league has made that clear to us for years that that's been there. But like I said, we're our human beings, and there are times where you just respond, you know, and um, try to learn from the mistakes. But, you know, like I said, there's still the human side, the human element to it. That, you know, sometimes you're just going to respond, and that's just that. So you hear me talk on this show constantly about the feminization of sports and American society. And keep in mind, Draymond Green is one of the tough guys in the NBA. He beat up Jordan Poole. He's the tough guy. Draymond's a pansy. He's as soft as butter. That's why he beat up Jordan Poole, because he's soft, because he's got that female bitch energy. Sorry for saying it. I apologize. Uh Uh, but, But that's why he did that to this man. And so now the fan has actually uh, been tracked down and he gave an interview and, and, and uh, offered his side of the story. Here's what he said transpired. He was underneath the free throw line. Took that one. I, said, I told my friend Brandon Fran, I said, man, I'm about to say something. So he underneath the free throw line. I got his attention. I said, Draymond. I said, we giving you a pass. He said, what pass? I said, man, you, we giving you a pass. He said, you ain't shit. What pass? I said, man, like I said, we giving you a pass. You know what I mean? So evidently, he was ready for it. He was he was waiting for that to happen. And, um, and he just, he blew it out of proportion, actually. So basically, 
I don't know how he can take that as a threat. When you say giving him a pass, what what were you referring to? Like, why why does Draymond need a pass in the city of Milwaukee? Man, basically, you know, I was speaking up. I was speaking up for the city of Milwaukee. Basically, telling like, man, we're giving you a pass. We we haven't forgot about what you did. You know what I'm saying? A big bully. We haven't forgot about what you did, and we're giving you a pass. We forgive you. You know what I mean? But we haven't forgot. These athletes, from Russell Westbrook to Draymond Green, we, we love to sit around and pretend like, oh, there's all these white Karens, and they're running around. It's the Karens. It's Karen. It's all this racial blah blah blah. What's Draymond is Karen? Draymond Green is Karen. Draymond. Some fan is yelling at him. And, and he can't take it, and he goes and gets them tossed out of the arena under the pretense, under the lie that this man threatened his life. This man said during that interview, like, hey, man, there were police around and, and security around that all backed me up, that I never did what Draymond said I did. He says the Milwaukee Bucks have promised him courtside seats for a game later that they know that Draymond Green is lying here. But again, no one will touch this. No, Stephen A. Smith, no one, Charles Barkley, Shaquille O'Neal. Everybody got something to say about Kyrie Irving tweeting out a Hebrews to Negroes documentary. They'll look at Draymond, do some of the most feminine, passive-aggressive, disrespectful, female energy just driven behavior and no one will say anything. These athletes aren't interested in social justice. They're not interested in fairness and equality. They want to be rulers and kings and oppressors and the elite and everybody else is beneath them. And how dare you yell something at me at the game? I'll get you tossed out. This is why I don't respect them. They're not trying to improve anything. They want to be the rulers and the oppressors. Now that they have some money, that's what they do. They rule and oppress. Here's a man sitting at a game, trying to enjoy the game, tossed out of the game. And, and I'm glad the guy is black because everybody can, can't play the car. Oh, I'm defending some white guy. No, nah, man, this is the mentality of the elite. They don't care what color you are. They only care whether you kiss their feet, rings, hands, kiss their butt, whether you bow to them. I have no respect for Draymond Green. Well, Jason, if that guy was white, Dave Zarin has his next book. But anyway, here's the thing about Craymond. So <laughs> that was interesting what he said about why I almost went there. I have a question. So you have more restraint for a random fan than your own teammate. Think about what happened here. With Jordan Poole, he comes across and cold clocks him. Cheap shot, right? Broke his jaw or whatever. But with the fan, he's going to be the gentleman, and I'm going to let cooler heads prevail. I'm going to escort you out. It's amazing. That's why I, I believe there's a disconnect with the NBA fans or the general public with the league. But this has got me thinking. You know what? I now have a whole new respect for Vernon Maxwell. One time someone disrespected him and his family. He went all the way up in the Rose Garden. He he went, you know what, that's old-time basketball. Vernon, 
I want to now say I apologize. You're a real man. You went there. He effed around, and you made them – that's old-school basketball. Charles Barkley at least spit on somebody. Yeah, it hit a girl if that was on accident. You know, whatever. But anyway, um, that's why you're right about that in terms of the quote-unquote feminization of the league. But it, it is interesting because when I first heard this report, I saw it on Twitter, and I said, oh, boy, here we go. And then all of a sudden, when they found out it wasn't a white guy, I said, oh, okay, that story's dead. It's dead. It's just like when you have a random shooter. And no matter what, if it's a random shooter, and then it, and it becomes a, what do they call it, like a group killing or serial killing more than three people, you brace for it. And then when it's not a night, a white guy, story's dead. It's like clockwork. The story just dies right there. And it's the same type of dynamic that exists in these situations in sports. These, <clears throat> it's across the board with athletes, and, and I wish that people would come up out of this racial brainwashing that's been done and realize that it's elites versus the working class, it's elites versus normal people, and, and Draymond Green from beating up Jordan Poole, who's black, to getting this uh, fan tossed out of the arena who is black. Draymond Green don't care about black people. None of these guys do. I'm talking about none of them. Yeah. I'm talking about LeBron James. I'm talking about none of them. NFL player Malcolm Jenkins, Anquan Bolton, all these social justice, in racism in the, in the uh, back of the uh, end zone. None of these guys. They're just talking. They don't really believe any of it. They're elites uh, putting on a performance for social media clout, putting on a performance because that's what their agents and the puppet masters tell. Again, when the real smoke comes, they all scatter and run like cowards. They, again, Kyrie, did, did Draymond Green, the big powerful Draymond Green, when the smoke came for Kyrie Irving, did he utter a word? Yeah. Did he have the balls to say, hey, man, y'all mistreating Kyrie Irving? Let me take a stand for Kyrie Irving and his freedom of religion, freedom of speech. Not a word. But, oh, can I get a fan tossed from a game who said something I disagree with and is annoying me? Can I beat up my teammate because I don't like him? Yeah, they're all down for that. They're all, they want to stay on the side of their puppet masters, and we know who their puppet masters are. Kyrie Irving and Kanye West have exposed who the puppet masters are and who, who they're really afraid of, all of them. It, it, it just, it infuriates me. It, 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 let's move on to one final topic before we go into o overtime in the Korean Cosell Hour, and uh, <laughs> Justin or Christian or Hadley, whoever's responsible for this Cosell Hour, uh, your pay will be docked this week. Uh, I want to get this final deal. Uh, Troy Vincent, number two behind uh, Roger Goodell at the NFL offices, high-ranking vice president, whatever, I can't remember what his full title is, but former NFL player, former Wisconsin Badger, Longtime NFL player, used to work for the NFL Players Association, has worked in the league offices probably for close to the last decade. Uh, he told, in an, in an NFL owners meeting, 
he analogized uh, the combine to a slave auction and set off a disagreement and some bickering among the owners. Arthur Blank of the Atlanta Falcons was upset. Jerry Jones, of course, was upset. Some other NFL owners were upset. Uh, we, we have a high-ranking NFL executive, former player, who's analogizing the combine, which is basically a long interview process for who wants to be a millionaire. That somehow is a slave auction. And, and this is what, when I say, the idiocy starts at the top and runs downhill. Troy Vincent is the guy who is in Roger Goodell's ear, telling him what to think about racial issues. Troy Vincent's the quarterback on all the Black Lives Matter BS that goes on in the NFL. This guy is arguing to NFL owners that the combine mm -hmm. is like a slave auction. And we wonder why the NFL is completely off course and has swallowed all of the woke ideology. Well, again, it seems to me like Mr. Vincent is certainly now dabbling in the industry of oppression. But here's the question I would have for Troy. Okay, you can analogize that. So what is your solution? What exactly is it that you want? Do you, do you want the combine wiped out? Because, you know, the other thing is certain players don't actually go to the combine. They do personal workouts. Universities hold workouts for all their seniors or draft-eligible players. I, I don't understand exactly, look, I guess you can kind of sort of draw an analogy outside the million-dollar pay and the benefits and all that other stuff. Um, but my question would be to Troy Vincent if I was in that room, okay, uh, then what? Like, what is your solution? Are you just airing a grievance? Are you just making a statement, which is fine, but is there an end game? Like, what are you suggesting here? Are you, are you suggesting that we disband the league? that you don't want these poor souls being put through the rigors of a National Football League career. I This is the thing that bothers me about statements like this. And I don't really have any feelings one way or the other towards Troy Vincent. But he has made his living a very lucrative one in the very same league, going through the very same process. And I don't recall, and if I'm wrong, let me know, did he ever balk at it before? Because I'm assuming he went to the NFL Combine back in, what, 91 or 92, had a very good career with, I believe, the Eagles or the Miami Dolphins who first drafted him. At any point, <coughs> did he ever raise his hand and say, well, wait a minute, guys, this, this is dehumanizing. I'm, my body's being used for athletic and entertainment purposes. Yet now he sits on the ivory tower and he wants to make this incredibly uh, – I would say provocative statement, maybe in his own mind. But again, what's the end game? Because I think one of the owners should have asked them, okay, so what do you want to do about it, Troy? What do you want to do? Do you want to end the combine? And I don't think he'd have an answer, but this is my this is what I think a lot of people are turned off by this type of thought process. Is that you complain a lot, you air your grievances, you use fancy word salads. You never actually offer up a real solution or a plan of action to eradicate it. I, I just look at this again as, again, more virtue signaling from someone who will have no accountability when it's all said and done for his words. 
He's not virtue signaling, though, Steve, because he doesn't believe any of this. He's yeah. using this hypercharged racial language to acquire and secure and protect the power he's amassing. He, he, he's playing the race card on the owners as a tool. Hey, back up off me. I know many of you don't like me, but I can frame you all as racist as it, at any time. I can be your biggest critic. They, they have a cancer inside of their organization called Troy Vincent. They can't get rid of it because again, they, they feel if they, if they remove the cancer, they're, wor- they're worried about him pissing on from outside the tent. They'd rather have him inside the tent. And inside the tent, he uses race to maintain power over these NFL owners. He, he does not believe the combine is a slave auction. He knows that. He, he went through the process probably. He's had many friends that went through that process. People are honored to get invited to the combine. Because if, they, if it wasn't at the combine, everything that happens at the combine <laughs> would then happen on an individual college campus during an individual workout. And, and, and then just quite frankly, as a black person, there is not a black person in America today that was born and raised here that knows anything about a slave auction, nothing. We've heard about it. We've perhaps read a few things about it. We watch Roots, whatever, but, but there's none of us, there's not an athlete that has gone to the combine and said, oh God, I feel like I feel oppressed. I feel, oh, this is so dehumanizing. Someone's actually looking at my body. Athletes, except maybe for a handful of linemen, love to have people looking at their body and evaluating them. We spend their whole life training for that evaluation and the right to make a bunch of money off of it. Troy Vince is playing a game with ownership. He needs to be eliminated, but Roger Goodell is weak. Uh, Most of the NFL ownership is weak. They don't know how to get rid of their problems. And so, and they've let guys like Troy Vincent bully them with threats of you're racist and I'll smear you as racist. And, And Troy Vincent works them, and again, I used to have a relationship with Troy Vincent until I figured him out as some kind of race idolater, uh, phony, uh, and, 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 and he has ushered in, helped the NFL usher in all this racial idolatry and all this other phoniness or whatever. But I, I know Troy Vincent. Not that bright, uh, not really qualified for his position, but he's got a stranglehold on that position by playing the race card strategically on Roger Goodell and NFL ownerships. And, and these NFL owners aren't man enough to do anything about it. And, and that's why I, I was in a discussion. Oh, TJ Moe and I have this discussion all the time. And TJ is always telling me, it's like, it's the weakness of white men that's at the root of all of America's problems. Because again, those NFL owners could clean all this up if they were willing to take the criticism and blowback that would go along with saying, you know what, Troy Vincent, you're an idiot. You're out over your skis. You don't know what you're doing. You just come in here and play the race car. You're not really helping us grow the game. Bye. We're going to replace you. They don't have the balls to do that. And that's why the NFL is compromised. And so I do, and I like Jerry Jones and I like several other NFL owners. But they're all weak. 
They're not man enough to fix these problems. And so we live in a constant state of chaos and the country keeps going a bad direction because of the weakness of white men in power, in leadership. And look, do they have collaborators and people like Troy Vincent that are bullying them, that are baby Al Sharptons and all that? Yes, they do. But a strong man, and again, that's what this entire show is about, trying to give men of any color the balls to stand up and to do what's right. Screw everybody's little games. Do what's right. Jason, I don't think it's just a swath of white men. I think it's specifically white guilt. Not everyone has it, but those who have white guilt, I believe, is they are the biggest cancer in American society. And going back to hold the Troy. Let me Benson, push but- back one. Let me. I, I'm sorry for cutting you off, but let me push back on why I don't think white guilt is the answer. Because I, I don't think that these NFL owners really feel guilty. I think they're afraid of because mm-hmm. th- they're looking at what's going on with Daniel Snyder. And how he's getting, and they all feel like, I got skeletons in my closet. They can come after me at any time. So I'm just going to keep my head down and say what they want to to make sure that they never turn the wolves loose on me. I don't think it's guilt. I think it's fear. I think it's fear that they can't withstand the criticism and the scrutiny. So they just keep their head down and survive. Roger Goodell, I don't think, really believes in a lot of the things that are going on in the NFL. But in order to protect that $50 million a year paycheck, he's just going to go along to get along. Why get, if, if Troy Vincent or some, or some outsider, Al Sharpton, stirs up some kind of racial narrative about me, and, and they know the New York Times, the Washington Post, and everybody on social media will play along with it. Yeah, Roger Goodell's a racist. In, in fifth grade, uh, you know, he, he, he dressed up as uh, Jim Brown. Or, or whatever. They, all these guys fear that they're vulnerable and they fear that the media will pile on them and demonize them. And in order to protect that paycheck, they'll go along with virtually anything. These guys will all bend over and take a 12-inch broomstick right up the rear end if that's what it takes to keep their paycheck. They have no courage, intestinal fortitude. There's nothing they really stand for. They're cowards. I'm sorry, you got me on one. Go ahead. <clears throat> no, and finally, you're right about the invite. I don't think Kunta Kinte was cordially invited. Uh, it, it, we're going to provide the travel, and you're going to land in Cape Cod or wherever, and uh, you'll be put through a battery of tests to see if you qualify for this non-paying job. You know, I'll never forget it. When I was growing up in Valencia, California, Santa Clarita Valley, before I moved to Montebello, uh, we, they, had a, they have a very – very uh, competitive baseball league, youth baseball, William S. Hart. And this league has produced hundreds of college players, Division One, and a lot of major leaguers. So it's a really good league. And I'll never forget, your first year there at the Bronco Division, they actually trot you out. And it's like a combine. We're little kids. We have numbers given to us. And it's the most nervous thing. They're like, okay, number 57, Steve Kim. And they put you at shortstop. You have to take some grounders. Then they put you at left field. Then they make you throw. Then you get 10 cuts. And I'm just telling you, these coaches were like regular fathers. They're actually scouting you. And they're looking you over. And they come talk to you. Then they actually had a draft. Now, this is for youth league. 
This goes on at almost every level of competitive sports if it's a specific league. But never once did I say, God, look look, look at those white slave masters. God, my oppressors. I just want to play ball. I just want to play ball, you know. Anyway. Steve, uh, <clears throat> we've gone more than an hour. What I do? Uh, I'm going to let do. you go. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm going to let you go. I'm going to let you go. We're going to get to Delano. Uh, thank you so much. Enjoy your holidays. You can email me and us, fearlessblazeshow <clears throat> at gmail.com. Delano Squires. I just want to be. I just All right, welcome back. Time for the smartest man on the show. Professor D. Delano Squires joins us from Washington, D.C. Delano has written a terrific column today that uh, connects Joe Joe Biden's pivot into the first trans president to a overall Democrat strategy around gender identity and politics and and he he goes back and makes the point that hey you got to remember Bill Clinton was called by Toni Morrison and many black people the first black president it was kind of a joking thing but Bill Clinton certainly leaned into and enjoyed that description. Newsweek magazine uh, labeled Barack Obama the first gay president. And I I don't know if uh, President Obama leaned into that, but he certainly didn't set the record straight as it relates to that. And it was mostly a reflection that Obama uh, did a lot to uh, normalize same-sex marriage and uh, all of that. And so, you know, they called him uh, the first gay president, and and now uh, Joe Biden got the transgenders all up in the White House. He lit the White House up in rainbow colors to celebrate the Respect for Marriage or the Disres- Disrespect for Marriage Act. Uh, let's watch Joe Biden. Uh, let, let's watch an old clip of Joe Biden saying he's against same-sex marriage, and then just compared to where he's at now today. We're going to debate the next three weeks, I'm told, gay marriage, a flag amendment, and God only knows what else. I can't believe the American people can't see through this. We already have a law, the Defense of Marriage Act, where we've all voted, not where I voted and others said, look, marriage is between a man and a woman, and states must respect that. Nobody's violated that law. There's been no challenge to that law. Why do we need a constitutional amendment? Marriage is between a man and a woman. What's the game going on here? That was in 2006. Uh, <laughs> earlier this week, Joe Biden's got Cindy Lauper and everybody, everybody else uh, he can think of at the White House celebrating the uh, disrespect for marriage acts that codify same-sex marriage. Uh, and, and according to Joe, uh, stop some of the animus towards children that are transitioning or whatever. Anyway, uh, Delano, uh, expound, unpack uh, your column today. Yeah, Jason, I mean, you, you, you hit the nail right on the head. I think 
Um, the Democrats love bending identity. Um, they love to use uh, different terms um, to sort of color outside of the lines. And again, Bill Clinton was the first black president, uh, supposedly. Obama was the first gay president. In my, and in my column, I argue that Joe Biden is the first trans president because he's done more than any single politician um, to normalize the idea that men can become women and women can become men through both public policy, the laws of our land, and social custom. Um, he's done it through personnel, and as I said, he's done it through policy. So he, he, he hired um, Admiral Dr. Rachel Levine, who was born Richard Levine, and was married for several years and had two children, um, and put this person not as uh, you know, an assistant deputy advisory undersecretary in the Department of Interior, he put this person as one of the highest ranking officials in the, de in the uh, Department of Health and Human Services, a pediatrician who now oversees um, federal policy as it relates to you know, gender-confused children. Um, and and th those uh, actions by the president make clear to me that he's shooting to become you know, probably the most uh, prominent uh, straight ally to the LGBTQ community um, that we've had in, in, in 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. So it begs the question, Delano, why is he doing it? Why did a devout Catholic from Delaware in 2006, <laughs> marriage is between a man and a woman, how, why did he pivot over the these last 16 years to be uh, Rachel Levin, Richard Levin is a woman? How, why is he doing this? I think it's a, there's, there's a couple of reasons. I, I think one of the reasons is that Joe Biden is clearly um, experiencing some, some cognitive and mental decline. Um, any, any old clips of him whether from four, eight, 10, 20 years ago, you can tell the difference between the man you see in those videos and the man you see today, who has to be led around you know, at, at White House events. He has to be, people have to point and tell him which direction to go. They have to give him palm cards to, to tell him which journalist to call on. So he's, he's a shell. And if I really want to go here, and I, I didn't want to do it because I didn't, I didn't want to seem like I was trying to be disrespectful of the office, um, Biden is really also the first puppet president, like truly a puppet, like no, nothing internal, just he's, he's the, 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 the exterior, right? He's the Pinocchio and someone has his, their hand up his back and all he does is parrot the words that they say. He sound, this man is 80 years old. He was born in the middle of World War II. He eulogized a man who was an exalted Cyclops in the Ku Klux Klan, Joe Biden is an old dude. And he speaks like a freshman at Bryn Mawr or Brown University who's majoring in, in queer studies. And you know, Jason, if you were to get him over a beer, you know, in Scranton and you ask him if, if he thinks men can get pregnant, he would say, come on, man. But, but when his handlers are around and he gets asked these questions or when he's in front of a trans activist and, he, and they say, oh, I'm in day 221 of transitioning to a girl, and he says, oh, God bless you, God love you. You know that he's speaking, his mouth is moving, but somebody else's words are coming out. Uh, and, and I think that's one of the reasons um, in terms of how he's gotten to this place. The other one, I think, is a, is a deeper reflection 
on um, sort of the, the moral bankruptcy of, of leftism, which is there's not anything that uh, someone on the left believes today that they won't move away from in 10 or 12 years if the political winds start to blow in a different direction. And, and, and this is why I think every American, but particularly conservatives and conservative Christians, need to understand that what a biblical world do, worldview gives you is both an explanation for why the world operates in the way that it does and uh, something to hold that explanation in place. Because again, the same people who say today, well, the Disrespect for Marriage Act um, says that federal law recognizes marriages between two people have nothing to guard themselves against moving to three people or an adult and a child in 10 to 20 years. Because th this is what they do, and this is what I you know, put in the, in the piece. It's always a movement. There's always new territory to be conquered. And eventually, uh, on this trajectory, in 15 years, we'll be coronating the first MAP king or the first MAP president, Mayan Attractive Persons president. Um, and, and that's the direction that our politics is going in. So <clears throat> I, I'm going to go a step further because <clears throat> I see it as, and, and you and I talked this morning after I, I read your column, I see it as a Democrat political strategy and a left strategy, and it's why they talk so much about being on the right side of history. Mm. And so w when you're trying to be on the right side of history, you're concerned about, well, who's going to be writing that history? And the left believes they are. And so, and this is why I correct people when they make the argument, when I, when I see believers talk about being on the right side of history, I'm like, nah, man, that's not our standard. We always want to be on the right side of God. That, that's, mm. that, that standard, that book is old, the, the, the rules are, are right there in writing, there's no confusing, it, it, it's not about whoever happens to be in power and who has the pen at that moment. And so I think that Democrats believe that they're gonna continue to write history and that in 20 years from now, they will have created so much gender confusion and fluidity that the largest base of voters are going to be voters who, who vote based on sexual and gender fluidity. And so, mm. and, and so they'll take, what their game plan is for Delano and your wife is like, yeah, Delano, they're, they're firmly conservative, they're grounded in that biblical worldview, but man, if we can get one of their kids to come over our direction, if we can confuse one of their kids and get their kids' gender identity screwed up, get them off into the LGBTQ issue, now we have a chance to get Delano and his wife on board mm -hmm. with our team. Because mm -hmm. if your kid identifies, it, it's like, well, I gotta do what's in the best interest of my kids, that's not the Republicans, that's not evangelicals, that's not Christians, that's the Democrat Party, which is a whole coalition of sexually fluid, gender fluid people. And, and that, it's like to me, the immigration thing isn't working out for them as well as they thought because 
too many of these Latinos and uh, Muslims come over this country and be like, well, you know, I still kind of like God and I still kind of, you know, I'm not yeah. hopping on board with the Democrats. But as it relates to these issues around being gay and queer and trans and all that, you basically, Caitlyn Jenner may still be a Republican, but the overwhelming majority, the drag people, Mm -hmm. Again, we and you and I were talking this morning about they've come up with this term drag phobic now. Here's a new classification yep. of yep. of people that you can be drag phobic. And so it's like all the people that want to live their life without any sexual or gender rules, that's going to be the Democrat coalition and Joe Biden will be seen as the father of that coalition. That will be his legacy. That's how the history that will be written by the left will, 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 will be written. It's like, well, we got Obama on board with the gay, but, but mm -hmm. things really hit the ground running when we got Joe Biden on board with Rachel Levine and Sam Britton and Dylan what, McElvey or whatever his name Malvin. is. Mm -hmm. I, I, Malvin, yeah, I, 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 think, I think Joe has bought in to that legacy and strategy. Absolutely. And, and honestly, Jason, this this started over a decade ago. A lot of people forget this, but it was Joe Biden, Vice President Joe Biden, who got out ahead of the White House and like ahead of, ahead of Barack Obama, President Barack Obama, when he said in an interview that he's open to the idea of same-sex marriage. And then it was Obama had, who had to then come and say, you know, uh, now I'm open to it and so on and so forth. And when he did an interview with Robin Roberts, he said, yeah, Joe got out a little bit over his skis, you know, but it, it was done in the right spirit. And, and from there, they they ushered in, you know, that that new wave. And, and I agree with you. I, I think he, he wants to be known this way. Um, I have no doubt that he sees himself as an ally. My, my point is that when you get into the specificity of the language and the understanding and the ideology, there's nothing that makes me think that this 80-year-old guy is speaking his own language, right? He's getting fed these lines um, from, from Geppetto off, off, off stage, um, and he's just sort of repeating the things that, that he's been told to repeat. But yeah, I, I, I think you know, the, the Democrats, the left, everything for them is a movement, and movement infers that nothing stands in, its, in one place. Um, and in the same way they have drag phobia, eventually they'll have map phobia and, and, and there'll be a phobia for people uh, who want to practice bestiality and uh, polyamory, pol polygamy. Um, and and they just they just plan to continue pushing the ball f to, in their mind forward. But in my mind, they're pushing us all downward because at the end of the day, being in the right destination in eternity is much more important than being on the right side of history. Delano, I, I, I wanna, I don't push back's not the right word, but I want you to think about this, which, which you said. I'm a little bit harder on Biden. I'm not going to give him age as an excuse, cognitive dissonance as an excuse. I, I think this is more calculated, and I'm going to use your own words to argue that. You started okay. out by saying a decade ago, he was out ahead of Obama on this. And so, and, and I, that's factual. And so I think he started thinking about his legacy and where he was going to end up and how, if he was ever to get the presidency and how it would end up for him. 
And so he, he may now be too old to come up with all the ideas, but I think he agreed to this a long time ago. And, and I think the Democrats, as, as and just taking your words, they think everything's a movement. They talk about everything about change. And I think about Obama, change we can believe in. And now I think, here we are in 2022, athletes love to put on the back of their helmets, inspire change. And I right. keep asking people like, what change? What, 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 why is change now the goal of everything? Mm. And, and mm. then as Christians, I sit there and go, is change really what we believe in? When we think that this word right here stands the test of time, century after century after century after century. And so who has put this thought in our head that change is the end all be all? The left and mm. movements and, all, and again, I'm not denigrating the civil rights movement. But, but I'm saying that, that this whole mentality of like, if things aren't changing, if we're not out provoking change, we're not being good Americans and we're not <clears throat> out for justice and like, no, <clears throat> I, I would, standards. I, I like standards more than mm. I like change. <laughs> and I, I wanna promote some standards because if we hold, when people hold me to a standard, Hey Jason, you know, there's only 1500 calories we want you to eat today. That standard will yeah. do me justice and good. Hey Jason, you're a Christian. We don't go to strip clubs. That standard does me good. And 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 hey Delano, you're married. You sleep with your wife and that's it. That standard does Delano good. We, we've been convinced change and movement and all that, that's progress, that's progressive. It's a, it's a path straight to hell in my opinion. I, I, I agree with that, but here's, here's what I would say to, your, to where you started on, on in that particular segment, right? Um, yes, Biden got out ahead of Obama. That's, that's, that's true, that's a fact. Um, what I would argue is that very few people, even on sort of the mainstream left, were ready for the onslaught that the the trans movement brought. Because again, this stuff has been around in some respect, particularly on college campuses, for quite some time. I would say, you know, probably the first person to sort of mainstream it, bring it into the mainstream of public consciousness. I, I would I would put that say that that was Caitlyn Jenner. There was the, act, the the actor Laverne Cox before that interview with Katie Couric. Katie Couric said, you know, what's going on down there, and Laverne Cox tried to pivot away from it, so on and so forth. But when ESPN gets to the point of honoring um, Bruce Jenner, who now goes by Caitlyn Jenner, that was a monumental moment in the culture. And what I'm saying is, I want to say that was 2015. So we're not even talking a decade ago. And since then, there has been an onslaught in terms of uh, emphasizing the T in LGBT to the point where the L, the G's, and the B's have had to take the back seat. And I, I don't think people like Biden or even some of the people you know that we may criticize, the, the Joy Reeves, the Jamel Hills, the Rachel Maddows, the women who are in media, in industry, in sports, 
have been able to set their feet and really come up with, with a defense of the encroachment on the tees into their spaces. So if this was Monday and you let me get a little piece on the, on, on the you know, uh, post-weekend football wrap-up, I would say th- this is a blitz that has attacked their offensive line, and, and they, just, they just don't have enough people to protect the quarterback. So it's, it's not that I don't think that Biden is into it. I'm saying there's no way in 2012 he knew that he would be supporting the idea that men can get pregnant in 2022. That, that's what I'm saying. All of this stuff has been, because Jason, think of it. Th- think of how long the civil rights movement was for black folk. Even the gay rights movement, what has now turned into sort of the LGBTQ movement. Again, you're talking decades. The trans thing shot up like a, like a, like a supernova, seven years. That's, that's not even a full decade that we went from Caitlyn Jenner being honored at the ESPYs to um, the, the federal government acting as if, uh, quote unquote, hist- uh, uh, gender affirming hysterectomies and prescribing uh, Lupron to, to adolescents is good government and good policy. That, that is a monumental shift in a very, very short period of time. And that's why, as I say, even the, the, the women who have made sort of a, a living in sports and media and industry have not been able to form an affirmative defense against this stuff. And that's why they just would rather remain silent than stand up to it. There's no way that somebody like Jamel Hill, who spent her entire life in sports and in broadcasting, actually thinks that if LeBron James took estrogen for two years and then went into the the WNBA at the age of 40, that he would not dominate all the competition. There's no way that she thinks that if he donned a wig and tried to turn Joanna Man from a comedy into a docudrama, that she would actually say, yeah, LeBron, the LeBron that I've seen for the last 20 years, oh no, he's a woman now. No, she don't believe that. She just knows that she can't say anything other than that. And, And that's what I'm saying. So if she has no chance, then someone who's an octogenarian and whose mind has been addled, no disrespect, he definitely has no chance. I'm gonna respectfully disagree with you, and you okay. made a very logical argument. I'm just gonna respectfully disagree by, by saying this. I'm not that smart. You talk to any of my friends, I started saying 10 years ago, hey, the P is silent in all of this stuff. They're gonna mm. legalize pedophilia in my lifetime. I'm not that smart. But I could see it, I could feel it. And then the other thing I'll say, when you're exposed to as much information as Joe Biden's been exposed to 47, 50 years in politics at a high level, vice president, blah, blah. He, he, not the smartest guy in the world, but just exposed to a lot of information and a lot of their conversation and what they're planning. I, I think he, these technology companies, none of it's, surprising Twitter's influence, Facebook's influence, and, and, and I'll go with a silly example here, like a, what they know that the average person doesn't know. I go back to when I was a kid, and I used to watch Star Trek mm. as a little kid, and they'd pull out these little flip phones, beam me up, blah, blah, but they'd be communicating basically on cell phones. Mm-hmm. And I believe the people that made Star Trek knew that there was going to be cell phones <laughs> coming around the corner. And what Captain Kirk and all them guys was communicating right. on, we'd all be communicating on eventually. I believe Joe Biden, Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton, 
George Bush. It ain't no just left wing, right wing thing. All these globalists have been let in on a secret and where this whole thing was headed. And they know that social media is the amplifier and the accelerant to all of it. I don't think they're sitting here uh, amazed at, at like, look how fast things have uh, transformed. I, I think they're actually frustrated, like, man, Donald Trump slowed us down for four years, uh, you know, and we still made a lot of progress, but not the progress we could have made if, if that hadn't happened. Uh, I, I, I think so, Joe, you know, I think he knows exactly what, what they're doing and what they're doing and what he signed up for. Uh, yeah. You know, he's not as competent as pulling it off now, but he signed up for this. So, so here's here'll be my response to that. Two things real quick. One, the, the P is different than the T, right? The, the P has been around in popular culture for a lot longer than the T. So whether you're talking about um, Roman Polanski mm. or, or, or Marvin Gaye, I mean, d- d- the, the notion that adult men, right? gay or straight, would want to have sexual relations with, let's say, uh, post-pubescent or pre-pubescent children is not particularly new. It's, it's something that we at least have known about and actually stretches back way further in, into history. I mean, in terms of you know Greek society and so on and so forth. So, so what I'm saying is there is a distinction. I do want to make a distinction between the P and the T, right? The other thing that I would say is and this, this goes to the broader conversation about these trends and sort of the, the diversity, inclusion, and equity movement, the die movement. Joe Biden was the perfect patsy for the Democratic Party. It sounds counterintuitive, but he's old, he's white, he's straight, he's a nominal Catholic, and he's male. So even though the, the, the people who may criticize him say, oh, he has all these points of privilege. What that means is all of those groups under him have leverage against him because they can say you're a racist, you're a sexist, you're, you're a bigot against uh, religious minorities, you're a homophobe, and you're a transphobe. And, and this, is, this is the play all the time. It's the same play they run on black men. They can't call us racist, so they say you're sexist, you're, you're transphobic, black men, black men are the white people of black people. It's the same play that they, that they run on straight women, even black women. They can't say you're racist or sexist, but they can say that you're transphobic. And that's how you get somebody like the actor uh, Angelica Ross, who, who was on Pose, coming into a show produced, shown on the Oprah Winfrey Network and telling a room full of black women that they have not been um, supportive sisters to her in her transition from male to female. And all of those black women just sat there and they had to take it. Now, these women are being lectured by a dude, right, with, with broader shoulders in them and a more tapered waist in them, telling them that they, that they are insufficiently sort of uh, 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 black females. So, so what I'm saying is, in, in our society, the way to amass power is to paint yourself as oppressed. And when you're someone who's higher up the food chain, the people below you have all types of leverage against you. And, and we went through this in the last couple of weeks with the whole Kyrie Irving thing. When you heard his black detractors in the media, um, Jamel Hill, Shannon Sharp, Stephen A. Smith, to some extent, Jay Williams, Jesse Washington, a bunch of other low rent writers on Bleacher Report, ESPN, so on and so forth. All of them said the same thing. Emmanuel Acho, 
all of them said the same thing. He was spreading harmful misinformation and stereotypes about a marginalized and oppressed community, right? That's, that's the play. And it, and it doesn't have to be harmful, if, if we're being completely honest. In our country, a black man who expresses admiration for the financial success of Jewish people is taken to task, while the same black man who expresses a desire to kill other black men in his, in his rap lyrics is, re, is rewarded with Emmys and, and Grammys. You understand? So our, our priorities are completely screwed up, and part of it is because we have bought into the notion of intersectionality and the notion that to be oppressed um, actually gives you more power against your oppressor. So, so what I'm saying is Joe Biden has all of the privilege points and that makes him the perfect patsy for the people who want to paint themselves as oppressed. Thank you, Delano. Have a great you, uh, Christmas break. Uh, great job as always. I, I will, I'm going to end on this note though and just say, first transgender person, 1952, Christine Jorgensen, this stuff's not new. And then the last thing I'll say is, you know, part of the leverage they have over Joe Biden is that silent P. Anytime you're showering with your daughter, you're a suspect. Very suspect. That's tomorrow. We'll see you live and in person in the new year. Uh, we will be releasing content during the holidays, but it'll be, you know, won't be live, won't be me and you sitting here talking, but uh, enjoy your holiday break, enjoy your Christmas break, enjoy your family, love everybody, and uh, we'll see you around the corner. I just want, I wanna be, I just want.